Hello and welcome to the print interview. We have with us Congress uh, leader and parliamentarian Shashi Tharoor. Welcome to the print, sir. Thank you. So we have been witnessing disruptions in the parliament. A number of over 140 MPs from the opposition have been suspended. So you are always seen as an idle parliamentarian. And now we see your name in the list of those suspended. So what do you have to say? Well, I think frankly, it's uh, in some ways emblematic of what the entire situation has been reduced to. You know, the basic principles in any parliamentary democracy involve ministerial accountability to parliament. It's any parliamentary system, that's the way it's supposed to work. So when the security breach occurred, an opposition MP said the Home Minister should come and talk to us. It wasn't in a confrontational spirit. We just wanted to an assurance the government was taking the issue seriously. Had he come, spoken for 10 minutes, in fact, he was quite willing to speak to the media outside and he's spoken to the media, given interviews and press statements. Had he said the same thing inside the House, as is supposed to be the convention in any parliamentary democracy, there would have been no problem. The MPs wanted a discussion, maybe half a dozen of the floor leaders of the different parties would have spoken for a few minutes each. End of story, crisis would have been diffused, we'd have returned to the very important debates we wanted to participate in. And I want to stress that there was a conscious decision made by the opposition parties that this session, there'd be no disruption, we'll participate fully, it's our last opportunity to place our views before the public. So they didn't want us to go this way. To their astonishment, the government refused. Refused to come. As I said, if Mr. Shah is prepared to speak outside, why couldn't he speak to the House while it's in session? In fact, it's never a done thing in any parliamentary democracy to say anything on any substantive matter outside when Parliament is in session without having told Parliament first. That's the, the, the system the British created and every parliamentary democracy in the world functions that way, except ours. So naturally, people got agitated. And yes, they did create a ruckus. And yes, it's true that I don't normally participate in, in ruckuses and disturbances. So, and therefore, initially, I refrained. I stood in my seat out of solidarity with them, but that was it. But when over 50 of them, in fact, I think the first day turned out to be 92, were suspended, it became untenable for me to stand on the sidelines. I just felt that the principle of solidarity required me to participate. I didn't shout, I didn't scream. But I did deliberately walk into the well with a placard and all the placards said, I didn't have any offensive picture or any black or whatever. I just had a placard saying, we demand a discussion on the security breach. That's all it said. In fact, some of the media have photographs of it. So, uh, but anyway, to cut a long story short, uh, that was enough to get me included in the list as well. And as I said, I wear it as a badge of honor because I think given the way in which the basic canons of parliamentary democracy have been trampled upon by this government. I think it's important that we be standing on the right side morally as this is the right side. But, uh, you know, apart from the BJP calling it a political, that, you, that the opposition is making into a political issue, the speaker said that security is something that comes under their ambit and he has already spoken about it. Now, listen, the speaker has certain responsibilities in controlling anything that happens in parliament. But the Delhi police is under Amit Shah. One of the first actions taken by the Home Ministry was to suspend nine Delhi policemen. You think the Speaker can suspend a policeman? I mean, let's be serious about this. The government can play games with all this. Yes, we know the Speaker's authority. But the point is precisely the Speaker presides, the Home Minister explains, which he was prepared to do outside. He said, we're taking this issue seriously. We're going to have an inquiry. Results will be known in two weeks. Isn't the, aren't the parliamentarians the ones most concerned by this? Shouldn't they have been told? that the results have been known in two weeks and this is the kind of inquiry and these people have been suspended and so on? You tell me. 
But do you think that, you know, disruptions are the correct political strategy? I mean, in terms of it's not really paying you off electorally. No, absolutely. No, disruptions, in my view, are not at all a good strategy for the opposition. Uh, unless the opposition is as large as it was during UPA 2 when the BJP was literally able to paralyze the House. When you couldn't literally function uh, if they wanted to disrupt you, 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 that was a different story. But today, that's not the case. So what the BJP government has been doing systematically, and not once or twice, has been to suspend a few people and then pass bills amid the din, which obviously hurts the opposition for a number of reasons. We're the ones losing out on the opportunity to question ministers. The BJP is not going to ask tough questions to their own ministers. Those days are gone since Nehruji's time. Second, we're missing the opportunity to raise matters of urgent public importance under Rule 377 of the Lok Sabha. Third, we would love to put constituency issues on the record to show our constituents we're toiling for them. Zero hour is a perfect example for that. We're missing that out. I've lost a zero hour and a 377 this week because of disruptions. Fourth, we're missing an opportunity to raise major issues under private members' bills. I had four private members' bills I was supposed to introduce on Friday, all gone. So all of these means that we are the ones losing out. And on top of that, and perhaps most important, we are not participating in debates on the most important consequential issues of our country that come before the parliament. And that is a loss, not because we could have changed the laws. Unfortunately, yeah. with this government's crushing majority and their total lack of receptivity to the, uh, the uh, 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 views, suggestions, arguments of the opposition, we would never be able to succeed in changing any laws. But we do achieve two things. Number one, we place our views on the record and they have a certain life beyond the parliament debate because, for example, many of my parliament speeches I know are flourishing on YouTube years later uh, and they therefore leave a landmark point of view that help educate the public consciousness. Secondly, even the Supreme Court said last year that in the absence of a serious legislative debate, they find it difficult to interpret legislative intent when it comes to a particular a situation because when a law comes up before them, this challenge on some grounds or the other, being able to hear the opposition criticisms of the draft law and the response of the minister gives the judges a good sense of what the law was intended to achieve and then that will guide them in their rulings. That was part of an observation by a Supreme Court justice just right. last year. So we're missing out all of this. And that's why the opposition does not want, should not want to disrupt because we are the losers. The government can always get its own way. Ruling party MPs can always speak and do indeed put everything on record for themselves. The only losers are the opposition. But the opposition felt they had no choice when they were being treated with such contempt and disrespect by the government of the day. But at the end of the day, you know, people will not be able to know, voters will not be able to know what was your stance on these important, crucial bills. As you rightly said, this is the last opportunity before election. So do you think there could have been a slight rethink on this? See, our system is supposed to involve the responsibility of the government to run parliament smoothly. When we were in power, suppose this had been the roles reversed. I assure you what would have happened is our party would have told the Home Minister, listen, go for 15 minutes. This is important to us. We don't want the whole house being held to ransom because you don't want to speak to them. Whatever you are prepared to say outside, you say inside the house. That's your job. And the Home Minister would have gone. Our, uh, whoever had been elected speaker under our time, Mira Kumar or whoever, would have said, fine, let's have a discussion. And at the end of that discussion, there would have been, uh, I'm fairly sure, a complete calm and the main debate on things like the criminal law bills, the election commissioner's appointment bill, the telecoms bill, all these very, very important bills, the post postal bill, all of those would have taken place in an amicable, constructive and focused atmosphere. As it is, our voice is absent from all of them. 
Well, let's talk a little about this mimicry issue. You know, that has snowballed into a major controversy. The BJP. Why is it me? You tell me. When there is nothing less than a major threat to parliamentary democracy in our country, when literally the basic rules of how parliaments are supposed to function are being shredded by the government and the establishment of this government, how can we waste time on a minute's worth of some triviality like a mimicry? I mean, to me, that this becomes a story shows a brilliant sort of PR management on the part of the government and a complete complicity on the part of the media. I have refused to answer this question. It so happens I didn't witness some mimicry because I was giving interviews myself with my back turned to the steps when this was happening. So I don't know what happened and I'm not going to comment on it. But that anyone would spend a thousand times the number of minutes discussing this one minute mimicry effect is to my mind an absolute indication of how low the standards of public and political debate in our country have sunk. But it is, uh, you know, Jagdeep Dhankar, the chairman, the vice president himself has expressed anguish. He has said that, you know, he felt humiliated, he felt ashamed and, and the BJP is saying, uh, you know, Rahul Gandhi should apologize for it. I mean, it has become a major issue. As you probably know, uh, the Congress party, Jairam Ramesh has tweeted uh, Mr. Modi doing mimicry inside the Lok Sabha of uh, uh, Congress leaders. So let us now be, be constructive and say these are trivial moments. They are, they pass in, in, a, in a lighter spirit and usually should be ignored. Uh, I would urge you all to focus on the really major substantive issues facing the nation and not some one-minute mimicry contest. Well, the name of Mr. Malikarjan Kharge has emerged as, you know, the possible prime ministerial candidate during the meeting of India Alliance yesterday. W what do you think about I it? wasn't there at the meeting, so I can't tell you about the circumstances and the spirit in which that discussion took place. All I know, like you, is what you read in the papers. It seems to me that uh, two people uh, pointed to him. He's by far the most senior figure, uh, a very substantive 81-year-old leader, uh, who's risen from a humble caste background and so on. Uh, all of this makes him a very attractive figure. And he could well be the kind of figure who would attract a consensus. But having said that, he himself has replied, hmm. let's win the election first and we'll sort it out. Because let's face it, you all know the way the game is played. All the parties who participate in a coalition have a say in who the final leader should be. So indeed, I would echo his words and say, let's wait and see. But overall, you know, the opposition or say the Congress seems to be struggling to, you know, put, out, put up a face in front of, you know, let's say the charisma of PM Modi. What are the other options as far as... Well, first know, of all, this concerned? again is a media requirement. Okay. Why should there be one face? We have a parliamentary system, not a presidential one, though I agree Mr. Modi is running the parliamentary system presidentially, which gives us the worst of both worlds. But the fact is, in a parliamentary system, you elect your MPs and they choose their leader. That's, just, again, the logic that the system imposes. I'm not necessarily advocating the parliamentary system, but it happens to be the one we've got. Maybe if we had a presidential system, you could say who's going to be the main rival to Mr. Modi. We don't have that system. And we don't have an Obama emerging from nowhere. What we've got is parties with party leaderships, and they're the ones who are going to basically put names forward. And yet, who expected Mr. Devagauda to be prime minister? Who expected Mr. Gujral to be prime minister? Who expected Dr. Manmohan Singh even to be prime minister? So there's all sorts of surprises possible. Leave it to the exercise that the voters will go through. Secondly, I believe very passionately that in a parliamentary system, the election is not about an individual, it's about issues. Only the voters of Varanasi have the right to decide whether they like Mr. Modi or not. The rest of the country has to look at their candidates, the manifesto of the party they're contesting, and what they stand for. Now, what do we stand for? We stand for challenging this entire 
cult around Mr. Modi, this meh, 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 I and myself, it's all about we for us. We, experienced leaders from across a number of political parties who will listen to the voters and serve their interests. That's the first point. Secondly, it's about core issues affecting the well-being of ordinary people, communal harmony, unemployment, the worst recorded unemployment in history since numbers have been kept was two years ago, price rise, the fundamental question of whether people in this country are better off because of anything the government has done for them or whether they are actually worse off. There are people who voted for Mr. Modi 10 years ago expecting they'll get a job imminently and they still don't have a job. Should they vote for Mr. Modi again? These are all questions that are legitimate to ask. Who is asking them? Who's giving us a chance to ask them? You're focused on mimicry. You're focused on which face, what face. I mean, let's talk about issues. No, we're asking about everything. So do you think it's better to go without a PM face then? Look, better or worse depends on, I mean, I am reluctantly prepared to concede that increasingly the public seems to want an individual face. Uh, certainly in state elections, that's becoming more and more common. So, you know, when Jayalalitha was chief minister, it almost didn't matter who the AADMK candidate was. If you wanted Jayalalitha to be chief minister, you voted for her. Same with Mamta Banerjee in Bengal. That's become sort of the culture increasingly. But at the national level, obviously an incumbent prime minister has a huge advantage over any challenger because he dominates the mediascape, dominates the airwaves and, uh, you know, manages in this particular case to put his picture and his name on every single thing the government does, even COVID vaccinations. There have been, as you know, tragically hilarious stories of Indians uh, whose COVID forms were rejected at foreign airports because they said, you don't look like this photograph. <laughs> no other country <laughs> in the world has the prime minister's photo on the COVID vaccination sheet. So this is the kind of thing that we're going through with this prime minister. Obviously, he looms larger than ever. We should not necessarily play into the hands of their strengths by saying it's, it's Mr. Modi versus one individual. Let's talk about the issues. I'm, we are going to fight on issues. So, you know, recent assembly elections have in a way shown that, you know, whenever, wherever Congress is in a bipolar contest with the BJP, you know, it's seemed to be losing. So what is it that, you know, the Congress needs to do to sort of, you know, revive its electoral fortune? Where is it going wrong? Well, there's a very large and complicated answer to that, which also varies from state to state. Say in Chhattisgarh, the argument of the experts is that we somehow lost the entire Adivasi tribal belt. We lost something like 15 seats that we had won last time that went over to the BGP and made a big chunk of the difference. Um, in fact, if we had not lost those 15 seats, we would have been ahead of the BGP by one seat. So all of these things happen. But, but why? Uh, but, but again, it varies from state to state. I, I would say that my observation is that one thing that we are not as good at them as is uh, that last mile of campaigning. That is, you know, having stormtroopers available to knock on every door, not just shove literature through the door, but to go and talk to people, try and persuade them. And if you know that there is a leaning, ensure that they come to vote, bring them out, all of the stuff. The BJP have become past masters of this with their panna prabharis, you know, each page of the electoral register is somebody's responsibility and all of this stuff. That's partially because the resources they command outstrip every other party put together. And with that kind of resources, the, 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 the manpower as well, uh, they have people going out there, they have large numbers uh, as well as money. They are able to deliver their message very effectively. And they've also been very good at doing things that it never occurred to any of us to do before. For example, this invention of the Labharti, mm. right? The whole idea that everything the government does for, you, does for you, you ought to be grateful to Mr. Modi for. We had the rather naive notion that taxpayers' money being spent to help ordinary people in this country was the government's duty 
not a favor to anybody. No one needs to be grateful. It's our job. That's how we did the same things. We also created the ration system, did public distribution of grain, subsidized grain, all sorts of things that this government now wants people to be grateful for. We did without demanding gratitude. That's the price we're paying. So they have been extremely good at this kind of thing, you know, extracting every inch out of every voter, whereas we have been, sadly speaking, somewhat uh, uh, more modest. And, and today we're paying the price for that because once they've come to power, they've actually increased their watch. They went from 31.6 percent in 2014 to 37 point something percent in 2019. And that's partially because they managed to convince people that all of these things we should be grateful to the BJP for. Our view is the government's duty is to spend its tax money responsibly on helping people. And there's nothing that we can't go around demanding gratitude. So you're not going to follow that? Well, at the moment, we are hardly in power anywhere. Where we are in power, I don't know what they're doing. They may well be saying, look, we did this for you because the BJP has taught us to speak like that. But, uh, but the truth is that for us, we are there to do a job. I mean, look, the party of the Congress has for the longest time considered itself a natural party of governance. And in that process, it's almost a question of what the French call noblesse oblige. If you're elected, you're obliged to do certain things. You do them. Don't talk about them. That was kind of the attitude. Now all that's going to change in the political discourse of our country also. Well, what's happening with you? You know, you were recently replaced as the chairman of the All India Professional Congress. So what happened there? I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's all, in all fairness, um, I've probably become the poster child of the Udaipur Resolution. The Udaipur <laughs> Resolution did say that no one should be in a post for more than five years. And I've had clock six by then. Okay. We invented the organization in August of 2017 on the basis of a concept note that I had prepared. And I conceived the organization, structured it, hired all the people as have made it run. Uh, and I'd done it for six years. So if, the, if the, the party felt that it's time to start implementing these rules, uh, I'm uh, happy to be the first uh, advertisement for the success, <laughs> successful implementation of the Udaipur Resolution. You're also seen as a potential CM candidate, uh, you know, for co Kerala Congress. But a section of, uh, you know, Kerala Congress is not really, you know, okay with that idea. So, so how do you no, see listen, that? I mean, this is a, a slightly <laughs> academic question. The elections in Kerala are two and a half years away, number one. Number two, I have always focused on national and international issues, as everyone knows. I haven't been trying uh, to um, uh, sort of position myself. Uh, for Kerala state politics. Indeed, I've never been involved in Kerala state level politics. But without trying, it seems that I've suddenly become in all the polls and surveys the most popular figure. Now, inevitably, in a party like the Congress, there are plenty of netas and there are plenty of other people who also have their own aspirations and ambitions. So this is not the time to start sitting around weighing in individual merits. We all do our jobs. I must say that of the various names that are floating around, uh, I'm not the only one who is an MP rather than an MLA, but there are others who are working on the ground as MLAs. All these conversations will have to be had. See, ultimately, the Congress has traditionally tended not to put a face forward. Hmm. If, as you've been arguing, it is imperative to do so because a face is what the voters want, then the Congress will have to think about which face they should put forward in each state. Uh, it's interesting that, for example, in Telangana, there wasn't very much doubt about the face. Hmm. In Karnataka, we had two faces. And it wasn't very clear which one would necessarily get the chief ministership. In Rajasthan, again, there was an incumbent CM. He was clearly the face. Chhattisgarh, there was an incumbent. He was the face. Madhya Pradesh, there was an incumbent, but the PCC chief was de facto the seen fact. to be the face. So it, 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 it's now becoming more of a pattern that we've entered the election with relatively little doubt as to who would lead if we won. 
So that may be the pattern. If that is going to be the pattern in Kerala, you'll know in due course we're still two and a half years away. But will you be ready to take on the responsibility? The Look, Congress? what I want to what I want to do is to see the India Alliance come to power in Delhi first, and then if they have a role for me in the in the mantrale, then I can focus on that. <laughs> but let's see. I mean, frankly, it's all very very early days. Uh, right now, my job is to try and uh, and get the India Alliance parties into power in Delhi in 2024 for the good of the nation. Uh, if it weren't for the fact that uh, that that we had such a major issue coming up in this country where literally in some ways the future of democracy seems to be at stake. Um, one could then afford the luxury of saying, forget about national politics, let's go sit in the state. I'm not there yet. You already pointed out that, you know, there are so many leaders as far as India Alliance is concerned. How difficult is this seat sharing negotiation going to be? Look, I'm not part of the process. They've just created a committee. The Congress has named five people to do these discussions. Other parties have been naming their leaders. The process has barely begun. I think it's wrong uh, to make any significant comment. It's, it's obviously clear that in some areas it will be easier than others. I mean, Kerala is one place where there clearly will not be an agreement because the two major rivals in Kerala happen both to be constituents of the India Alliance. Right. And there's no way that the LDF and the UDF will make common cause. They see each other as the principal rivals. And arguably, the only constituency in Kerala in the Lok Sabha elections where the BJP even has a chance is my constituency, where they've come second twice. So why should the communists, for the sake of opposing the BJP in one place, uh, sacrifice their interests as they would see it in 19 other seats? And how will the two of them agree? Right now, the Congress party holds 15 seats out of those 19, and Congress allies won four more. You think the CPM is going to say, okay, you can all have all your sitting seats? They won't. It's as simple as that. So it won't work in Kerala. Uh, I think in other states, there are better chances. And in some states, there are conversations that have not yet been held that need to be held. Right. I'll end this interview with a personal uh, question. Where do we see Shashi Tharoor five years down the line? I don't know, my dear. You may <laughs> still see me uh, in this house if I'm lucky enough to be re-elected. On the other hand, you might see me doing other things. Um, look, I have always... Since returning to India, giving up, I will say with some immodesty, a very comfortable life outside. I have come here very much in a spirit of wanting to make a difference to our national politics, our national discourse. I have been doing my very best. Uh, obviously, uh, for the last 10 years, it's been in opposition and being in opposition has its limitations. So I'd, I'd like to think I've helped move the needle on some issues through the things I've said and, and spoken about and, and advocated. Now, the next five years... Um, the basic principle remains the same. I want to make a difference. Let me see how best I can make that difference. Thank you so much for giving us your time. This is Neelam Pandey reporting for The Print. Thanks, <laughs> Thank you so much, sir.